This morning, uh, we are going to continue in our uh, series to the book of Acts. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 25 now, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 22. As you guys are turning there, I wanted to share something with you. I have heard of a um, man who had served as a board member at a Christian college for a number of years. And he shared this uh, story that he had about an encounter with a... uh, and a foreign ambassador uh, that had come and was working with their college. See, he was working there, and the king of Swaziland, um, I don't even know if I said that right, just to be quite frank with you, um, had decided they wanted to set up a Christian school system. And so he sent his ambassador to the United States, and this guy, he came uh, to this Christian college and was interviewing some students and trying to work towards helping set up this uh, Christian school system. And uh, this man, uh, this uh, school board member, uh, kind of shared his, his account of it. And he says that it was, he was a great privilege. Um, in his lifetime, he said a democracy had not prepared him for the power of a monarchy. Uh, he had never before met a government official. And he discovered that ambassadors are a very special kind of government official. Furthermore, he said that an ambassador of a king is even more special than just an ordinary ambassador. He goes on and on about this. Uh, He says that the first thing he noticed was uh, his sense of dignity. It was quickly apparent that he was the personal representative of a king. His office bore an inherent power that gave the ambassador great confidence. From his behavior, it was clear that he was well aware that he spoke for a king. He was quick to say, well, the king says. And if anyone questioned his authority or his word, he could simply have uh, replied, well, call the king. He He had dignified confidence which rested in his assurance that he spoke for a monarch who had nearly absolute authority where he was coming from. I thought that was a great idea of what we're going to see kind of in this passage uh, today in Acts chapter 25. We're going to come back and visit this this scenario, this encounter near the end of the sermon. So I want you to tuck that in the back of your head and remember that we're going to return to that and and see its application to our passage before us. Now, we're going to look in in the next few moments at uh, Acts chapter 25, 1 through 22. And I want to encourage you as we spend time reading through these um, passages to try to to make it real. Don't let it just be a part of the sermon where, okay, we we just read through this. But this is the Word of God, right? This is what we come and we gather for. This is the most important part. If there are any words that you hear coming from this stage this morning, perhaps these are the ones that are going to be the most important. I can stand up here and talk for a certain amount of time, but it's the Word of God that brings life change. It's the Word of God that has power. And so I want to encourage you to pay special attention now. Let's look and see what Paul records, or I'm sorry, Luke records about Paul um, in this, uh, this episode, this uh, scene in Acts. He said, I'm going to start with verse 27 of chapter 24. He says, When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to, the, to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. 
After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day I took my seat in the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss on how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem if he tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning on a day where we feel like we had to wake up extra early. Lord, thank you that you have brought your church together, not just here, but throughout this nation, throughout the world, to worship you, that you are the central focus of our time together. Lord, I pray in the coming moments as we unpack uh, this passage, Lord, that we would, we would learn something valuable from it. Though it seems very similar to passages perhaps that we've studied in weeks past, Lord, there's some profound things that are taking place. And I pray that you would be at work, Lord, through me, that I would be an instrument of your spirit to communicate clearly and truthfully to your church. Lord, I pray that you'd be at work in the hearts of the people sitting here, that you would open their hearts to the truth. You would open them to, to see their, their own sins, to see the truth of your word and your glory. Lord, that we would all be able to leave here today worshiping in a new way, with a new appreciation and a rejuvenated uh, energy for you, Lord. We pray this now, uh, relying on you and trusting in you for our time ahead. In Christ's name, amen. So these, this passage, um, if you're thinking critically about it, you say, well, this is pretty similar to what we've already talked about. And as somebody who's going to be preaching this passage, I had the same thoughts. I'm like, oh, gee whiz, you know. Should we just kind of take the recording from a couple weeks ago, press play, and uh, go all over again? But uh, in studying it, we learned that we're going to learn. I've learned that there's some important things that are here. And so our outline this morning 
we're going to go through it a little bit differently than normal. Um, your outline is going to actually communicate one sentence, all right? So I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to tell you the outline now. And I want to challenge you to, one, not just check out, and to, two, not just get up and walk out, all right? Because we're going to then unpack that sentence and see why uh, we have come to that conclusion. So I'm asking for your help now um, in this, all right? And I think, I think we'll learn some cool things. And so if you stick around and stay with me, you might, you might be okay and be glad you did, all right? Uh, so our, our big idea for this morning is that Paul's trial reveals that it is not all about Paul, but about God's purposes in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go with that again. Paul's trial reveals that it is not all about Paul, but it's about God's purposes in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's let that sink in for a second. Right, Because we have a tendency as believers to read in Scripture and we put ourselves in the place of whoever the main character is. We kind of impute ourselves there, right? So this, uh, this movie came out. Captain Marvel. I've not seen it, so don't worry if you're worried about spoiler alerts. I'm not going to give you any because all I know is I'm assuming Captain Marvel's in the movie because it's called Captain Marvel. Now, I'm bringing this up because... The silliness of it is when we look at Scripture, we have a tendency to say, well, we're like Paul here. We're Paul. But if you were to watch a movie, say, like Captain Marvel, we don't really have a tendency to say, I'm Captain Marvel. We would think that that's odd. And so we need to be careful here to recognize that, one, we aren't Paul, and that, two, this whole thing isn't about Paul. So the context, the reason we started in verse 27 of 24, chapter 24 is because two years have now passed since Paul's last trial. We've spent a week. All right, So it's hard for us to naturally take that time gap into consideration. Now Paul has been held in Roman custody for two years. And we talk about having to wait on the Lord and sometimes waiting a week, waiting a month can be a challenge. Paul is waiting two years. And then what happens is we have new Roman leadership that comes in. All right, so Felix, uh, being a cruel ruler at the time, is succeeded by Festus, which, man, i got to tell you, these names are brutal. Okay, I would not want to be named Festus. It just does not sound like something that I would want you calling me. All right, And Festus comes on the scene, and what we know from extra-biblical history is that Festus was actually a pretty fair ruler. He was a good guy. Um, But there was a lot going on in this region at the time, uh, especially with the Jews. So Festus comes in, as any new ruler would, and uh, with all this unrest that's going on with the Jews, and certainly Paul's part of it, okay, we've seen that taking place. They would like to do favors to get on the good side of the Jews, because their main job was to keep the peace. Okay, so we see that as Festus comes in, he wants to do a favor for the Jews, and Felix the same way when he was there. So we have this new Roman leadership, and you have to ask the question, well, goodness gracious, two years have gone by, and the Jews still want to kill Paul. And I would say that the reason we've probably not heard anything over two years is because we had Roman leadership at the time who had given their decree on it and said, listen, we can't find Paul guilty here, um, so we're just going to keep him locked up. With new leadership presents new opportunity. I think the Jews look at it and say, hey, we got a new guy in office. Let's see if we can get our agenda going again. 
Now the interesting thing that we don't see directly in our text, but we know it from history outside the Bible itself, is that there was a new high priest at the time. If you remember, Ananias was the high priest uh, at the beginning of Paul's trials, but by this point there was a man by the name of Ishmael who had been uh, established as the high priest. So you have a new new Roman leadership, you have new Jewish leadership, and yet our circumstances seem to stay quite the same. Interesting. Very interesting. And there's a case that's brought against Paul. And the case we, in our text, are not really given the accusations. Uh, based on Paul's defense, he, we assume that it's pretty similar to what it was in the past. He says in verse 8, I have not sinned against the law of the Jews, uh, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. And I'm sure Paul used a little bit more words than that one sentence in his defense. Maybe he just used that one sentence, and that would be pretty bold and and crazy. Um, But nevertheless, uh, there's Paul's defense. And what we really start to see that this isn't about Paul is when you go into Festus and his conversation with Agrippa. Now, as he records this account, um, this case before Agrippa, he kind of boils it down. Uh, If you look at verse 18, he says, When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Now, right there we know that the Jews are making a pretty big deal to to this uh, Festus. He's saying, well, man, if they're making this big of a deal, if they're wanting these kind of uh, results from this, this dude must have done some pretty terrible things. Who knows what kind of crimes? And so you imagine now Festus sitting there listening to the case and being like, what? You guys are blowing this way out of proportion. This is crazy. So he says it's not, it's not about his crimes. Uh, he's done nothing that deserves of these things. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Now, I want to make the point here that Paul's trial isn't truly about Paul and his actions. But what's on trial here is the resurrection. It's Jesus. Jesus is on trial. That's why we can have new Roman leadership, new Jewish leadership, and yet still still the same case. If you go back to when Paul was first arrested by the uh, Romans, uh, by a man named Lysias, Paul would give his defense and say, I am on trial for my hope in the resurrection from the dead. From the very beginning, it's been the resurrection. It's been Christ who's been on trial, not Paul. Paul's not on trial here. He is just an instrument. And so it's not Paul that the focus is on. It is not you that the focus is on. And this is where what we will naturally do is we look at the Bible and we say, well, gee whiz, okay, Paul goes around all this area, he's preaching scripture, he's preaching the gospel message, and look what happens to him. Man, Paul's beat up. Paul's stoned within an inch of his life. Paul's arrested. Paul's being uh, held in prison falsely. If I preach the gospel, I'm going to face these very same things. It's not about you. It's not about me, but it's about Jesus, right? We have to shift the focus of everything that we're dealing with. There was a, when I was in college, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys before or not, but uh, we had a missions fest, I think is what they called it. And so they brought in missionaries from all around the world. And I was planning on going on a missions trip. I was at Taylor University. And um, as a part of that, they said, you have to go and do an interview with a missionary um, while they're here. 
So as a college guy, I was like, oh, fine, yeah. one more thing I got to do. Brutal, okay? And I go and I talk to this guy named Ron. All right, and I don't really know much about Ron. I don't remember Ron's last name, but Ron gave me some advice that has just stuck with me. And I asked him, you know, what's the most important thing that, that you keep in mind as you're involved in missions? And he said, well, who do you want them to remember? Who do you want them to remember? And I was like, well, God, right? Like, Sunday school answer at the time, like, maybe this is a trick question, but I'm going to go with Jesus. And he says, no, exactly. Exactly. You want them to remember Jesus. So that when you've been gone for five years, who do they remember? Do they remember Jeremy? Or do they remember Jesus? They remember Jesus. And he likened it to a concert. He said, now, if you went and say, uh, just say you went to a concert of the, one of the most famous uh, trumpetists, and you went and you sat through this concert. When you're on your way home, what are you talking about? A, are you talking about the really shiny gold trumpet that made cool noise? Or are you talking about the musician who was able to use that trumpet to make beautiful music? I was like, oh, I see. Well, naturally, you'd say the musician is the talent. You know, you can put any trumpet. Sure, there's some differences, but it's the musician that's the focus. He says, that's exactly right. So we need to adopt that mindset when we are serving the Lord, when we're serving other people. We are instruments. That trumpet by itself would sit in a case in some closet and do absolutely nothing. Are you making the connection to John 15 right now where Jesus says, without me you can do nothing? So he says, we are only but instruments to God. That when we try to steal that glory, that focus from the Lord, and make things about us, we are trying to rob the king of the universe of the glory that's only due to him. We are instruments. And though I don't remember Ron's last name, I don't even remember what missions or mission organization he's a part of. I remember that. And that's a very humbling thing for me. As somebody whose vocation is ministry. As somebody who is given a microphone and said to go talk in front of a lot of people. I have to be humble to say, listen, it's not about you guys remembering me. It's not about the middle schoolers remembering me. It's that when you guys are, when I'm long gone, people would look back and say they remember God. That middle schoolers would leave the middle school ministry and they wouldn't say, man, dude, I had an awesome youth pastor. But they would be like, I met Jesus when I was in middle school. That's what it's about. So... This text, though Paul's a character in it, Paul's on physical trial, it's really not about Paul being on trial. It's about Christ. He is the focus. So if it's not about us, it's not about Paul, then why in the world are the Jews spending so much time on him? Well, if you think back, and this is where context, I, you'll hear me for the rest of my life say context is so important, right? If you were to look back to Paul's conversion in about Acts 9, um, you would see that he was on the road to Damascus, right? With the intent of going, and he wanted to persecute Christians there. God met him on that road, and later he would, God would communicate with Ananias, the man by who he would send to uh, heal Paul of his blindness. And Paul, or God told Ananias that, uh, God, that Paul was a chosen instrument. He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
And now you start to think about this for a second. We've seen that already. If God is calling Paul to minister in Rome, he's put him in Roman custody, which seems inconvenient, but he's in the custody of the nation in which he's supposed to go preach to. We see that God's very purpose in calling Paul was to be uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the good news and to testify to Jesus Christ in front of the Gentiles and in front of kings. And what starts to happen in our passage this morning, who shows up? None but King Agrippa, who hears Paul's case, and next week we're going to learn, Paul gets to stand before him and share his uh, defense. And it's not about Paul, but God's purposes. It's about God's purposes. God called Paul for the purpose of preaching to the Gentiles. God called Paul for the purpose of preaching before kings. And remember in Acts 23, 11, God said to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified about my truth in Jerusalem, you will testify in Rome also. And this is what gets me crazy about the Bible. It's just so cool to see God's plan unfolding. Because Paul is asked, hey, why not go back to Jerusalem and finish this case in Jerusalem? And what does he say? Listen, I'm standing before the Roman courts right now. If you can't find anything against me in their uh, accusations, I appeal to Caesar. Which was Paul's right as a Roman citizen. You could appeal to Caesar at any point during a court case. Your appeal would be approved, which it was in the case of Festus. He conferred with his counsel and said, all right, to Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you're going to go. And so, not only is God saying, you're going to go to Rome, what you and I might think is if God called Paul to go to Rome, Paul's going to get on a ship by himself like he had his journey to Jerusalem. But God's like, you know what, not only are you going to go to Rome, but I am sending you to Rome with a Roman escort. How about that? And that's God working out his purposes. This isn't about Paul's plans. This is about God's purposes. Now, would Paul have that opportunity had God not put him in prison? Had he not been put in the position where he was held in prison for two years unjustly? This is cool stuff. God working out his purposes. So again, it is not about Paul. It is about God. It is not about you. It is about God. It is not about me. It is about God. As we work through our faith, we have to take ourselves out of the center of the universe. God doesn't revolve around us. God doesn't create his whole plan around us. We are instruments in God's plan To take the gospel, he has called us as his disciples to take the gospel to the nations. Which starts right in your community. Who has God called to share the gospel with your neighbor? You. Not because it revolves around you, but it's God's mission. It's God's mission. It revolves around God. If he has called you to do something, I want to challenge you this morning. Do it. Do it. Don't make excuses. We can make excuses all day. We could spend all our lives making excuses for why we can't do the things that God has called us to. Do what he's called you to. Take that risk. It will probably be very, very uncomfortable for you. But in the uncomfort comes the greatest peace and the greatest blessing because you would be serving and living in obedience to your God. Carrying out His mission, 
His mission. Remember, we're going to go back to that ambassador. He was sent on a mission by his king. It wasn't his own mission. It was his king's mission. And he went on behalf of the king. God has sent us that we are ambassadors. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ. What an opportunity to bear the message. See, it's with us. We as believers have the hope that the world needs. We can stand behind all kinds of causes, but without, without God, without Jesus, without the gospel message, the world's lost, hopeless. You have the hope. You know the hope. If you have that, share it. Share it with the world. Share it with your co-workers. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your friends, that your locker buddy. Share it with the, the people you rub shoulders with in life. Because if you know the hope and they don't, share the hope. See? Share it. <laughs> it's about God. It's about His purposes, which are far greater than us. And lastly, Paul's trial shows that one, it's not about Paul, but about God's purposes in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is it. Everything hinges on this. If the resurrection is just a a hoax, we're hopeless. If it never happened, we're fools. We're still in our sins. The resurrection changes absolutely everything. Festus says in our text, listen, he's not done anything wrong of the evils I expected, but it's all about this Jesus who was dead. Paul says he's alive. And Do you get the, the worldly perspective of this whole thing right there? Some Jesus guy doesn't really know who he is. I know he died, but now Paul's saying he's alive. I don't know. I have no idea how to... How do, you, how do you go on that? How do you answer these questions? How do you... But that's Paul's hope. Is in the resurrection. That's what he's on trial for. So when we realize... When we realize that our sins... No matter how big, no matter how many terrible things you have done, or how small the things that we just are like, eh, it's not that big of a deal, right? When we realize that our sins, big, small, anywhere in between, are an attack against God, an act of rebellion against Him, a perfect and holy God, that, that's when you start to realize what took place at the cross. The gravity of that. The amazing act of love that God showed by sending Jesus to the cross. And it had to be Jesus, right? Because the penalty for our sin is death. 
which is what you and I, we each deserve that. But Jesus came to this earth. Jesus lived a perfect life, undeserving of death. And he went to the cross and he laid down his life. But the amazing thing is that he didn't just lay it down on the cross. If we left the story, it is amazing if you were to talk to people and just start asking a random amount of people, what's the gospel? So many people talk about the cross, but they leave it at the cross. Jesus died for your sins. If all he did was die, we are without hope. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. So that you and I, in faith, might have life. We might have victory over sin. Paul says in Romans 15, that uh, he says this, For I have delivered to you, as is of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is what it's all about. The resurrection. The conquering of sin. Our Savior risen from the dead. That in faith, recognizing that we can do nothing of our own doing that will bring us reconciliation with God. But it took a perfect and holy God to give his life up on the cross, to rise again, that when we recognize we are totally sinful, when we recognize our sins, the smallest of which as an attack against God, as an evil that blemishes us forever, and that it's only through the blood of Christ and his resurrection that we can have that reconciliation and the forgiveness of our sins. Man, that is what it's about. Don't get distracted. That is the fuel and the motivation for everything about living the Christian life. We live in righteousness not because we are righteous, but because Christ was righteous. And He has given us His righteousness. We don't tell the truth only because we're told not to lie, but because God is the truth. And that in being given new life, we have freedom to tell the truth. We serve others because we have first been served. We love others because we have first been loved. It is about the cross and the resurrection from the dead. And I tell you, when we are gripped by that reality, when that captures your heart, the sky is the limit as to what God can call you to do. 
Because then you recognize and you would own it with your own being that it is not about me and my life. But it's about the gospel. That's why Paul can say to die is gain. That's why people like Pastor Andrew Brunson, right, who you guys have heard so much about in the news over the last few years, the pastor from Wheaton College who was imprisoned in Turkey for years of time, unjustly, he can endure that not because of himself, but because it's about the gospel. It's about Christ. That's why you can hear of uh, believers around the world who are facing death, and they do it willingly, not, not giving up their faith. But trusting in Christ because though I might lose my life, it's not about me. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus Christ. He is the reason that I am who I am. He is the meaning that gives me life. He is the whole reason for living. And that will change the way you live your life. That will change the way you go to work tomorrow. It will change the way you interact with your neighbors. It's going to change the way you see family get-togethers. It's going to change the way you interact with your friends. It's going to change the way you minister at the church. It's going to change everything about you. Because it's about Christ. Not me. Not me. What an act of love that a holy and perfect and amazing God demonstrated that he sent his only son to die on the cross and raised him again so that you and me, the worst of sinners, that our sins might be forgiven. We don't deserve that. What an act, what an act of love that he has demonstrated that to us. Oh, you might have heard the gospel a million times. Let it grip your heart today. That you wouldn't leave here and say, man, that's great. Yeah, Jeremy, I've heard that. But that you would take that and you would leave here saying, that is what I'm, that's what I'm all about. And go and live lives for Christ. Have a confidence. I told you we'd come back to the, the board member and the ambassador. He closed his reflection on the ambassador with this. He said, Because the ambassador spoke for the king, a certain authority accompanied everything he did or said. But at the same time, however, the ambassador was quite reserved. At all times he deferred to the king, from whom his confidence and power came. For neither the message he spoke nor the mission he was on were his own. Brothers and sisters, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. The message we bear is not our own. The mission we are on is not our own. But that is what brings us together, that we might glorify God in what we do, that we can have confidence in it. In a minute, you are going to hear of an opportunity that is before you that you may have to uh, partner with taking the gospel message to the nations. In doing so, it, by, by meeting real, felt, physical needs, 
And I want to encourage you guys to consider being part of this. I'm going to pray in a second, and then we're going to have a video, and um, some people come up and share. And so don't check out quite yet. But there's an opportunity for you to say, listen, it is not, it is not about me. But I can do this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of my Savior, my King.